Hey, this is the room from Motocorsa. What's up? You're listening to the Soundwriter Show, the only show that I listen to when I want to talk about motorcycles. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Soundwriter Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin. Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Welcome, riders, to the Sound Rider Show. And uh, we got we got quite a show here today. Uh, been a crazy October, really busy. Has been busy, yeah. It's been a good October, though. Things are going to finally wind down a little bit, and we can get some work done around here. That's right, for a couple of months, and then we'll be back out on the road full-time, I hope. So, uh, I was just thinking, you know... <clears throat> Seems like it was a long time ago, but actually we did the road trip tour in the first week of October. That's right, the uh, annual road trip tour, but this time, a uh, first time down in Sonoma, California, right? Or in that region, that is. Oh, yeah. First time we've ever gone into Northern California, and uh, it was a little bit tricky because of all the fires this summer. Right. We were not able to pre-ride. Which is always a bit of a challenge, I can imagine, but uh, so many great roads down there. It sounds like it was still a pretty good turnout for uh, you and the crew. Yeah, there was a dozen of us on the trip, and, uh, you know, we don't we don't all ride behind each other all day. We, sure. We have the GPS route, and we go at our own pace, and if uh, somebody wants to take a shortcut or take a side trip, they can do that, and then we can hear all the stories at dinner that night or... Or maybe uh, call in a lost person's report to the state patrol. <laughs> Hopefully not too many, but that's kind of the sound rider way, right, is uh, to kind of organize it and then let people go at their own pace and everybody meet up and hang out at the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I had somebody come to me the other day and they said, you know, I, I've, I live in the Columbia River Gorge, but I've abstained from going to your rally because I don't like to eat other people's dust. Ah, and I thought, this guy never has been to the rally. Has definitely never been to the rally. They don't follow each other uh, either on the rally or on the Sasquatch or the road trip tours. It's always every man for himself out there. And if you want to buddy up with one or two people, you could do it. Right. So, well, that's uh, good feedback to have, though, because now we know to uh, mention that maybe a little bit more uh, in things like the broadcast and the marketing emails and that kind of thing. For sure. And, yeah. and actually, it's going to be a, uh, a feature article in this month's issue. Oh, well, fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. But, you know, I'm with uh, that reader slash writer who made that report there about eating other people's dust. And I don't think I'm alone in this, but I find that very often, and I know this from talking to a lot of other motorcyclists, the best days of riding – are a lot of times by yourself, right? And that's kind yeah. of what these events do mimic is that they let you go at your own pace, uh, like I said earlier, and you just get out there, ride, enjoy life, and don't worry about keeping pace or going, uh, you know, with someone else's way. Just do your own thing. For sure. And I, you know, I mean, I have my friends that I like to ride with from time to time, but I also enjoy those times by myself. I did that hiker yeah. tour all by myself. It was right. awesome. Um, so anyways, yeah, so the road trip... Um, there's a dozen of us, and uh, well, a couple guys out there were going to go with the group. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I told the one guy who paid for it, there's no group. You just do your own thing. Right. And the other guy who came with him was kind of unhappy. Sure. And uh, I, I guess he thinks that the definition of camaraderie is uh, memorizing your buddy's license plate all the time. <laughs> Well, certainly not my definition, but all in all, though, it sounded like a really successful trip, 
and it sounds like some, some incredible scenery and some really good restaurants and that kind of thing as well. A beautiful place. Yeah. Um, odd. We went to the first night. We went to Chico, and we went to the Seattle, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company for yeah. dinner. Have a very nice restaurant there. Really, uh, but we thought, well, you know, it's a brewing company, so they're going to have TVs, and we'll be able to watch Monday Night Football and watch the Seahawks win. Sure. But uh, not a TV to be found. Interesting. So yeah. we had to uh, uh, eat and run. Right, <laughs> run to the nearest uh, TV-laden sports bar. We did. We went and we found some little sports bar up on the northeast side of town. All part of the adventure, right? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple goat trails along the way, paved goat trails. That's what I hear. So some notoriously bad pavement down there in uh, California in certain regions. But uh, yeah, well. You know, there's just like one little 12-mile section between Clear Lake and uh, Lake Berryessa. Sure. And uh, a couple people weren't happy about that. <laughs> but, you know, it's only 12 miles. I know it's a one-lane road. I know it's full of potholes. Yeah. But they all got filled. And I know you probably lost, you know, a 16th of tread on your tire on uh, that section. That's what it's there for. But then, you know, you, you got to go through the bad stuff to get to the good stuff. The road after that went around Lake Berryessa, and it was just awesome. Yeah, it sounded like an incredible trip uh, around the lake there. Now, you were on your NC700X. What was kind of the breakdown uh, for the group, would you say? Dual sports, touring bikes, what was kind of the mix there? Uh, let's see, we had a few BMWs, uh, uh, touring bikes, like like sport touring bikes. Sure. Um, one Harley. Uh, one uh, Kawasaki. Well, I can't forget what the Touring, the, the Goldwing model is. It's oh, not the Cavalcade. Is that the Suzuki? Is the Vulcan? I think right. Well, no. Before the Vulcan and the, and the Vulcan Touring and all that, okay. there was a sort of a, a, a Goldwing look-alike that Kawasaki had. I can't remember the name now. Uh, I think it's the Green Wing. Yeah. No, no that wasn't. That. <laughs> Um, what else did we have? We had uh, a guy with a CTX 700, so that's sort of the sister of my NC 700X. Yeah. Um, we were all uh, enjoying telling people how we put four quarts into a two-cylinder motor <laughs> and uh, don't have to change our oil more than every 10,000 miles. And I guess it's every eight. Um, what else do we have? Uh, it sounds like a pretty good mix, though. I mean, the trip was really cut out. That's one thing about the road trip, but it is uh, kind of takes all comers, right, as far as motorcycle styles are concerned. You can do it on a cruiser. You can do it on a touring bike, yeah. dual sport bike. The yeah. uh, the routes are planned for that. Yeah, and and if you come on a cruiser bike, you're not going to be there with a bunch of black-clad, leather-vested. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, everybody's different, and, and you're in with a mishmash of people, so you're not – you're not in, you know, living one lifestyle. Right. Well, you know, it's uh, already maybe a little too early to talk about the road trip, but uh, any thoughts on next year where it might be uh, where it might be held? I got it figured out. Oh, I don't okay. have the routes yet. Yeah. But uh, both Sasquatch and the road trip tour for 2016, they'll be in different dates. The road trip will be in May. Okay. The Sasquatch tour will be in June. They will both start in Long Beach, Washington. Nice. Your favorite beach. It is a very nice beach. There were, for people who are listening, if they don't know, that's part of the state highway system, so you can ride your bike on the beach. Right. Right. And then um, and then we'll follow the Columbia River using wow. my, my route. Yeah. Uh, the less, less roads with numbers, more roads with names. Right. Uh, Sasquatch are going to be going up and down out of the gorge and out of the, the Columbia River Basin. So you're going to get some really cool views along the way. Um, and we'll end in Castlegar, Canada, 
which is the headwaters of the Columbia River. So the road trip will end there, right? Sasquatch. Sasquatch will too. Sasquatch will end there too. Okay, yeah. right on. Yeah. But you'll have to cross into Canada on pavement during Sasquatch, and then we'll try to get you back on the dirt at the end. Well, I think that sounds like a hell of a route and a hell of a time. And uh, what else do we have coming up for 2016? Of course, we probably already have rally dates set, I would imagine. Yeah, so the rally is going to be the last weekend of August. I believe that is the 24th through the 29th. Not sure. Yeah, look it up on your phone. Yeah, that sounds right, but let's uh, let's just double-check those dates. And it's, for all uh, it's Wednesday yeah. through Sunday, that last weekend of August, uh, so you won't be rolling into uh, Labor Day. And so you won't be dealing with the traffic. Sure, and it looks like the last weekend starts on uh, the 26th. And, yeah. 26 uh, is a Wednesday? Uh, sorry, the 24th is a Wednesday. Oh, okay, 24th. Yeah, with the weekend starting Friday, the 26th there, so... Uh, good times as always. Always. And what's the Sunday? That's the twenty eighth. And the Sunday is the twenty eighth. That's uh, correct. Twenty fourth through twenty eighth August. Mark your calendars. Be there. That's right. Ten months away. Get it on the calendars and get down there and see us. We work on this rally twelve months a year. It's true. Well, and it showed last year. I mean, we had such great feedback and such a great turnout that uh, I certainly already have it on my calendar. I'll tell you that much. Uh, even if I don't know exactly when the dates are, I always will be there. <laughs> yeah, and we, we had a lot of people over the last few weeks, maybe over the month, uh, asking me for all the 2016 dates now because so many people are being asked by their employers yeah. to uh, block their vacation time for 2016. I was like, whoa, that's like you know, 14 months. Out. Yeah, you need so. to have some sort of crystal ball to predict that far in advance. But if all else fails, you know, you just quit your job and come down and join us anyway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there. But you know, we talk about the road trip, right? We're looking at May. We talk about Sasquatch. We're looking at June. We talk about the rally. We're talking about August. But we still have a few months between now and then to think about. What are some of your maybe favorite tips for staying active as a rider during the wintertime here in the Pacific Northwest? Get an indoor bicycle. Yeah. (laughs) A stationary bicycle in your living room. Well, now, are you a year-round rider anymore? I mean, certainly I know uh, in years past you would put, you know, tens of thousands of miles a year, which would give you no choice but to ride during the wintertime. But now... How frequently do you ride, say, in those November, December, I'll, I'll January? I'll do a few months? rides in the winter, but it won't be as much as I used to. Sure. Um, because I've been everywhere. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's not just riding. It's other things you can be doing, too. For instance, tomorrow I'm taking my bike over to Jesse Murphy and uh, the CNC700X. I kind of hobbled home with yeah. a chain that was uh, amazing. I actually got home. So at 17,000 miles, the chain goes, the sprocket goes. Right. Well, we dropped the oil again because you have to do that every 8,000. Yep. I uh, got the filter. I got the new spark plugs. Those are 30 bucks a piece. Wow. Um, and we'll be doing that. So it's a great time to uh, sit back and get your bike ready for next year, do modifications. Uh, and actually on Soundrider, you'll have to dig this up and fly it up on Facebook. We have two articles about modifications that you can do on your bike that you might not have thought of. Maybe uh, some bar risers or uh, change your brake lines from uh, the rubber stuff. Sure. Uh, I just skip the uh, braid it all together and go right to the good stuff, which is the Kevlar. Right, which is, I mean, uh, far, and a, far and away much better than the usual stuff. So much more durable, lasts so much longer, and you don't want to find yourself yeah. out there in the middle of nowhere with a uh, malfunctioning brake line, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
You could do a seat modification. If yeah. you've already done that, you could take your seat in and have Rich put a uh, insert in it for heating it. Rich's custom seats, sure. Um, all kinds of stuff you can do. So, and yeah, you know, you you could go and do some rides. Um, I'm always an advocate of doing a cabin ride, going out and running a state park cabin. Yeah, lots of great opportunities here in the Northwest. Absolutely. Yeah, you can get out there, make your own food. Bring a bring a tablet with you and watch a movie. I don't know whatever yeah, you want to do. Whatever you, you want know? to do. Well, you know, I always at the winter time here. I remember last year in particular, we had a lot of warm days. I seem to remember like some fifty and sixty degree sunny days in February. So it pays to not just do those modifications, but also just to have the bike at the ready because when you see the sun uh, peak out in the morning. Then you know you're good to go, right? Totally, totally, and and you know make sure that battery's all charged up. Right um, now, with all this new battery charging technology, you can you know refurbish batteries. Yeah, uh, in a way you could never do it before. These Optima devices are really good at breaking the sulfate down on the plates, and so uh, you could you you know want to make sure you get your battery all. Uh, Re, re, uh, rehabilitated and, and yeah. then recharged and have it ready every every weekend or every week, you know, just either put it on a trickle charger, which isn't always the best idea on the old school product, but on the right. new ones, they, they work real good. Uh, and I can't put mine on a trickle charger because I live in a condo, so I have my neighbors and I don't want to have a cord hanging out in the garage <laughs> all the time. I'm sure they appreciate that as well. But I could go out there once a month and plug them all in and get them all up to snuff. And then when I'm, you know, when it's a sunny day or or I just decide I want to, you know, I do a crazy thing in January where I go around the Olympic Peninsula. Right. So, you know, we have the bike all ready for that. Yeah, we got some new heated clothing from our friends over at Gordon's to test out this year. So get out there and ride around the Olympic Peninsula. I know myself, some of my favorite riding is on those sunny fall days where, you know, you get a nice crisp 45 or 50 degrees Go out for a quick ride, you know, maybe a nice spot for lunch, take advantage of the sunshine, get a little of that uh, vitamin D that is so needed here in the wintertime, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your food choices have to be the primary goal of where you're going. Yes. There's no <laughs> doubt about that it. That is, uh, I think that's a good suggestion there. All right. Well, we're going to cut out of here for a break. When we come back, we'll do the calendar, and then we'll be doing the news bites, and then we're going to spend a bit of time talking about the Portland Motorcycle Show. Hey, this is Greg from Olympia, and one of my favorite rides in the Pacific Northwest is the Olympic Loop. It's fantastic. Hey, this is Scott with Langless Leathers, and you're listening to the Soundwriter Show. Back in studio on the Sound Rider Show. Thank you so much for tuning in once again on this November episode and just a uh, perhaps a little premature or depending on when you're listening to it, an appropriate happy Thanksgiving to all our fellow riders out there. Now we're going to get to the calendar in just a quick second here, but Tom, it sounds like you've got something on your mind. So I was working on the calendar listings this morning before the show, sure. trying to get them tweaked up and make sure I got a lot of stuff in there for people to do. And uh, it occurred to me that uh, it is November and everybody's planning for 2016. So this is just a reminder to everybody listening. If you've got a motorcycle event, you want to get it listed in the calendar, it's really easy to do. You just go to soundrider.com, click on the calendar. And look on the top right there. It says, click here to post an event. And just fill out the form, get your event in there, any kind of uh, 
poker run you got, any kind of rally, any kind of uh, swap meet, uh, right. flat track racing, I don't know, whatever. Well, that's the thing, too, to remind people, and I think it's uh, good that you brought this up, is that we are uh, very open to all motorcycle-related events. So let us know so we can get them up there. And we do the whole Pacific Northwest. So whether you're in British Columbia, Idaho, Oregon, or Washington, we want you to put your event into the Soundrider calendar. Absolutely. And just a reminder there, you can go to uh, soundrider.com slash calendar to see the latest and greatest updates and listings there. Now, uh, let's get to the calendar, though. We've got some stuff coming up here. Uh, where do you want to start this month? I want to start with this Lady of Harley's party at Lone, with Lone Wolf Harley-Davidson in Spokane. So uh, if, you're, if you're a lady and you own a Harley, you probably already know about the ladies of Harley. It's kind of the, the secret girls club. Sure. Uh, there's typically one within every chapter of the, the hog organization. And the way that works in Harley world is that every dealer has their own club chapter associated with them. I gotcha. And uh, just uh, for a lot of our Seattle listeners here, what do you think is the best uh, maybe full-time route from uh, Seattle to Spokane? What do you? What would you take? Would you stick to the interstates, or do you have some uh, back roads to go across the state there? Oh, if I was going to ride yeah. from Seattle to Spokane to sure. go to the Ladies of Harley party? Yeah. Except they won't let me in. Right. <laughs> Uh, my my way is a little too complex to talk about here on the okay. show. But there are some ways out there, so maybe break out one of those benchmark atlases and check for some back, road, some back roads because we still have a lot of great uh, weather here, right? Absolutely. I mean, you can be going through the Soap Lake area. You can be going through the Potholes area. There's a lot of side roads that go east and west. And like you say, just break out the benchmark. Yeah. That's the way to do it. That's right. And, of course, we have those at the uh, Sound Rider store if you don't have one already. Um, and then coming up on the 7th here, we've got a couple of different things. It looks like some extreme flat track racing and enduro cross extreme indoor off-road racing. Love so the extreme flat track racing happens down at the fairgrounds in Puyallup. This is uh, the deal that Mickey Faye puts on. And there's actually three dates in November. There's the 7th. There's the uh, 15th. And there is the 28th. And I think he actually has a championship on the 29th. So. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, you can head down if you'd like to watch flat track racing. One, one thing I could tell you is it is cold down there, but you can bring a heater and plug it in. Oh, really? Yeah, bring a heater, have an extension cord, bring your blankets, plug your little foot heater in, and keep your feet and legs warm, have your blanket over your lap, and enjoy the uh, two-stroke smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds like an excellent uh, an excellent suggestion there, and you've got three different opportunities to that here this month. And then in uh, Caldwell, Idaho, also on the seventh of November, there's uh, enduro cross extreme indoor off road racing. So this is uh, all happening inside the Ford Arena in Caldwell. Well, I can't say I've ever been to the Ford Arena, but uh, always a good time to get down there and watch some enduro enduro cross. And uh, Caldwell, Idaho, beautiful place to be in the fall too. It is. It is. Um, and remember, folks, it's fall, not winter. That's right. Uh, okay, so uh, then uh, the guys at Motocorsa in Portland, Oregon, on um, on November 10th, they're going to be showing the Valencia GP. This is MotoGP in, in uh, I believe this is Italy, of course. Sure. And uh, that'll start at 5.30 p.m., I don't know if this is something you can see on your TV at home or not, but uh, Arun and the guys have figured out how to get the feed into the store. So And Moto Corsa, that's, uh, they always do a great job down there with their events. So definitely worth checking out if you're in the area, I think. 
I can't tell if it's a motorcycle dealership or disco. Right. <laughs> I don't know. This is a, they, they Always a fun time. Down, down and, you know, they have, a, they have a great staff there. I had a chance to chat with them at the Portland International Motorcycle Show a little bit, and uh, it seemed like some really great folks down there. So I encourage everybody in the area to go and visit. Uh, on the 11th is uh, Veterans Day, and Chester's Grand Teton Harley-Davidson out of Idaho Falls is going to do a Veterans Day event and barbecue. Now, the deal is there's a lot of dealers who do this, but um, I wasn't really seeing it across a lot of calendars, but I know a lot of them do veteran appreciation stuff. And so if you're a a service person, uh, there's a way to, you know, here's a chance to maybe really save some money on some stuff because they really usually go hog wild with nice discounts for for veterans when they do these events. There's another one also on the 14th at Lone Wolf Harley-Davidson. I know that Hinshaw's has done this in the past sure. as well. And So uh, if you're a veteran, make it your month to go find a great deal. That's right. So a lot of stuff just scattered throughout the entire northwestern region here. So you can probably find something you know, within an hour or so of where you're living. Uh, also on the 14th, the turkey run for the Boise Rescue Mission. Um, we're seeing, you know, turkey runs, toy runs, all kinds of winter, or, or not winter, the That's fall right. yes. rides. Uh, Meridian, Idaho, uh, 15th of November. Better get your heated gear on. Yeah, it might be a good idea there. It can always be a little chilly in the fall months here. But uh, how do you think, uh, I mean, how do turkey runs usually work? Are this like any other run, or is there anything unique to them do you have any idea um you know they're different everybody does them different but yeah. i think typically they're like a, a poker run okay and then uh, the prize sometimes is like a 25 pound turkey right so you know you could win a turkey over there and then you could maybe uh, buy some tires at les schwab and get a turkey from them right. you get a lot of turkeys you get your house. year's worth of turkey right <laughs> Uh, also, a good okay. time to mention that at the Rally in the Gorge, we'll be featuring an all-turkey menu. So, Hey, that's what we should do. Year. All <laughs> yeah. turkey prizes at the Rally in the Gorge. Uh, also, on November 14th at Wenatchee Power Sports, uh, Melanie and the crew over there are going to be doing a motorcycle winterizing workshop. So, there. You need a reason to ride? That's it. Go on out there to uh, Wenatchee. Um, hey, I got to say, too, I was on the Wenatchee Power Sports website today looking at it, and I'm pretty impressed with the way those guys have have taken that dealership and made it work for them. So they're, you know, they're offering this workshop. Uh, they've also been offering some snowmobile stuff and been involved in the UTV market. Those guys are going to make it one way or another. Good. That's great to hear. And they're doing a good job well, out there. Certainly in uh, you know, that central Washington uh, region there. One of the premier dealerships, so we wish them the best of luck, of course. On the 21st, we've got another turkey event. This is the Chili Turkey Ride. This is something that's been going on for probably a decade or more now. And it uh, raises money for Riders for Health. Um, the link here goes to a Facebook page, but this is all heading out of BMW Motorcycles of Seattle. Uh, $10 donation. You can give them more if you want. There's always a lot of prizes at the end. So this brings up a, a very important question for me here for you, Tom. Chili, beans or no beans? 
Oh, I, I got to have beans. You got to have beans in there. Okay, so yeah. you don't just go like the straight chuck or turkey as it may be in this case. You got to have the beans. Yeah, and you know that's something that I noticed that I didn't see a lot of today when I was going through the calendar. November is typically a month when a lot of dealers will have like a chili cook-off. Yeah. And I'm not seeing that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to one of the dealers, but uh, customers all walk in with their crock pots full of the, their chili, their secret chili. Sure. <laughs> and like... then they all get raided, and there's a winner at the end. i got to tell you, that sounds like a hell of a time. So hopefully there's one floating around there that somebody can bring us up to speed on because uh, chili and motorcycles, uh, either you, you, know, you bring your own gas or you make your own gas, I guess, right? Oh, is that how that works? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Put a little methane in the tank. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay. And then in December, we've got the toy run coming up here in uh, Olympia. So that'll be on December 5th. That's right. And we look forward to probably seeing a lot more uh, Christmas-related items on the calendar here just within the next couple of weeks. So that's yeah. something to stay tuned for on the website. Yeah. And a number of shops are doing pictures with Santa, so we'll we'll get those all posted up. And you can bring the kids down and get their pictures taken with Santa or yeah. get your own picture taken with Santa. If uh, Santa were to ride a motorcycle, what do you think it would be? Uh, I don't know. No, it have to be a Harley, wouldn't it? Have it have to be a Harley. Yeah, yeah. Like that. makes sense. All right, uh, we're gonna click out here and do a little break, and we'll be back with news bites. Hi, this is Mark from Valentine Motorworks, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hey, I'm Gordon from West Seattle, and uh, one of my favorite recent rides was the Reuben Run down in Oregon. Welcome back to the Sound Riders Show. A lot of interesting stuff happening here all through the year, and we always keep tabs of that here on our News Bites feed, which you can find at soundrider.com slash newsbites. A really interesting thing that I'm not entirely sure the details of, but I think Tom has here. Um, Tom, let's talk a little bit about Moto Mud. What uh, is that, and what can you tell our listeners about it? Um, a post came up on social media the other day from David Peterson over at Cycle Pump. Sure. And uh, letting everybody know that they could purchase Moto Mud. And uh, he, he thinks this is uh, going to be a real good item to give to your poser friends. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, he'll sell you some mud in a two-ounce bottle or a 16-ounce jug. And... Um, <clears throat> With the idea being that your poser friends put this on their motorcycle, or I guess you know, like if you trailered your your bike to the Tour Tech Rally, sure. and you want to make it look like you rode, <laughs> you like doll your bike up, or, yeah. I right. don't think that's going to go over too big. Is, is the idea though for all those guys out there riding their old beat up KLRs and uh, DRs and that kind of thing to take this Moto Mud to their rich BMW friends and say. Here you go, Mr. 500 Miles, never left the city block. Uh, here's a little paint to yeah. make it look like you're legit. Yeah, that's, that's innovation. Yeah, that's, that's definitely innovation. innovation. In fact, you know, it's so innovative because I remember when uh, Aerostitch had a uh, April Fool's spoof about you could buy uh, the spray-on bug 
product. <laughs> so it looked like dead mosquitoes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it looked like you've been on the road for a long time. And, uh, you know, and uh, actually, that never actually... You, sure. You could almost order it. Right. And then they'd say, you know, April Fool's. I got you. Well, you know, so, but you can get this Moto Mud in, what, two ounces or in... Two ounces or sixteen ounce jug. And you could also just get the jugs. You could just get right, the jug sure. or just get the two ounce bottle. And then I guess you could fill it up with your own mud. Well that's what I want to know about this mud. Is this like legitimate Pacific Northwest cultivated dual sport mud or is this just like you yeah, know, and, and David wanna, goes down to the home. You know, I want to be able to sand. get the kind of mud. You know, I want to be able to get mud from a specific area, like John Day Clay right. or uh, the Gifford Goo. <laughs> yeah, now we're talking. You know, I, I need that, and then I, I need verticals of the mud. I need, I need a 2008, the 2009, the 2010, and the 2011. And That's then we'll right. We'll do a little vertical uh, testing of the mud. Yeah, well, you got to have the most updated, latest and greatest mud. I mean, you don't want your legitimate adventure rider friends to come over. Lick the mud off your bike and then, you know, catch you red-handed there with the fake stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess that's what, when, you know, when, it, when it's wintertime and business slows down, we invent important stuff like moto mud. Well, there is some seasonality here, but maybe uh, talking a little bit about being stuck in the mud, uh, Harley-Davidson stock not doing so hot here. What do you make of that? Yeah, so they had a bad earnings report, yeah. and the stock dropped, and they, they're uh, they're doing some layoffs inside. And, you know, I remember when I saw this happen while there while the economy was good a decade ago sure and what happened was that a lot of the dealers started selling the bikes for over list price interesting because they weren't moving as many bikes so if if they all jumped on it and did it together they could make a little more money even though they weren't moving as many units so sort of take advantage of that die-hearted fandom that uh, Harley Davidson tends to carry along with it but is this something that uh, is indicative of maybe a larger motorcycle cultural shift, or is this just something that we see in the nature of big business? Uh, you know, I'm watching the economy, and it's kind of flat for motorcycles. Yeah. So if you have – you can have a bad quarter, and if it's been flat ahead of that, then uh, that might be the sign of things going down right. coming up. And, and we know that the economy travels in a 10-year cycle basically. So uh, if you look at every turn of the decade for the last 120 years, there's been at least a recession, Mm -hmm. Uh, if not a depression or a great recession. Sure. Yeah, there's definitely some fluctuations there. But I guess when I see stuff like this, particularly with a company like Harley-Davidson, and to be fair to Harley, you know, I didn't look at the earnings reports for every other major motorcycle manufacturer throughout the the world here. But I wonder about the shift – um, maybe away from the cruiser demographic. I know that it's still very popular and that kind of thing, but fourteen percent. You know, you do sort of the back of the envelope math. Do you think that that might be just reflective of the general shift in where new riders are going and older riders are going towards the adventure bikes, the dual sports, the sport touring, and that kind of thing? Or again, do you think this is just big business at work? That's a possibility, and yeah. then they've also got the demographic, which it just keeps getting older and older on sure. the age demographic. So. Uh, I know they're trying to uh, figure out ways to reach the younger demographic. Everybody is, right? Uh, but uh, you know, when you go in the stores and that sort of thing, I don't think we're seeing that still. Who do you think holds right now? Because this is the coveted topic of conversation amongst everybody in the motorcycle world: millennials, 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 right? Which is, I think, is something like thirty-five and under. But who do you think holds the most cachet brand-wise with them? Well, who do you think holds the most money still? It's the boomers. 
Well, sure, but everybody's talking about reaching the next generation. But now the, the boomers generation. are dying. Yeah, or they're leaving it to their millennial brats, right? Well, and the problem <laughs> is is that when one boomer dies, money gets split between X amount of millennial yeah. kids, and so the, the fortunes aren't there like they used to be. Uh, oh, you know, another thing that is uh, uh, going against Harley a little bit is you've got pretty good competition from Indian and Victory. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Polaris is making a lot of strides with uh, their brands there, so it's yeah. definitely a, it's definitely a shifting demographic there. But I'm still interested if you have thoughts anyway on what you think the what brand represents the most sort of cachet again with the uh, millennial crowd. Here in Seattle, it seems like a lot of influence on European brands, Triumph, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. But do you think that applies throughout the rest of the country here? Uh, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but sure. my magazine's all about the Pacific Northwest. Right. So no, I understand just, that. Know, let's just throw that one out. That that I think what I see, it, it, what you're saying, I think that I see that in Triumph. I think I see it a bit in BMW. Mm-hmm. I think I see it in Ducati. Uh, definitely, the European brands are getting the younger riders. Right. And they're definitely they're making some good high quality machines too, but definitely an emphasis on marketing to that generation as well. And uh, speaking about sort of uh, marketing and development. Oh, wait a second! You know what can happen next quarter? What's that? Harley could have a really good report. That's true. Yeah, definitely. And then all of a sudden, kaboom! So it might be a good time to buy the stock. I think. Well, yeah. I mean, there's certainly a school of investment thought that says right buy low. So (laughs) I think that's uh, might be uh, reasonable advice. Of course, uh, we don't specialize in that here on the Sound Rider Show, but what we do specialize is talking about up, uh, upcoming events, uh, innovations in events and technology here in the Pacific Northwest, and a possible snow bike tour. So this uh, snow bike thing is, uh, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it is happening. The, the, the company out of uh, McCall, Idaho, right. um, they got bought by Polaris, and they make all these tracks that you can outfit your dual sport motorcycle and turn it into a snow bike. So this is timber sled out in McCall, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. And so, um, you know, I'm saying, hey, if when we get to the point where there's enough people with these things, where you don't, don't just go for a day ride on that, do you? No, I think, I mean, the more adventure, the merrier, if you yeah, ask me. Yeah, let's go do a whole Sasquatch tour in right? the middle of January. I think that that would be uh, pretty gnarly there. We'll eat a lot. Too. Yes, of course. Oh, you gotta you gotta stay warm, burn some calories, right? Warm. Now, did you see uh, Timber Sled was the company behind that uh, YouTube video that went viral with? I'm drawing a blank on the gentleman's name here. It's sort of a famous stunt performer, maybe a BMXer or a motorcycle rider. But uh, he was riding the waves down in Tahiti. They made oh, yeah. that surf bike. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So that was Timber Sled. So okay. just out here in the Pacific Northwest, they were responsible. For, uh, for building that out. And one of the interesting facts about that, which I'll throw out before we move on to the next news item here, is that they actually started out with a, uh, a four-stroke engine, but they decided to switch to a two-stroke because he kept sinking the bike, and it was easier to drain out the two-stroke and rebuild it every time <laughs> that he went underneath the ocean there. So for what it's worth, check that out on YouTube, though. Definitely a, yeah, a cool Yeah, it is cool to watch it. Yeah. And when you look at it the first time, you don't believe it, but it's real. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly real, and uh, just a short video, too. So if you're sitting around at work listening to this, um, you know, make sure you check it out afterward. Uh, we just had a little technical issue. So uh, we're going to go fix that. And we'll be right back to talk about the Portland Motorcycle Show. Hi, this is Chris Page from the Oregon Motorcycle Road Racing Association, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. 
Hi, my name is Kim Grimner. I'm from Vancouver, Washington, and I've got a couple of motorcycles, and I love to ride in the Gifford or the Tillamont State Forest. section there well you know sometimes things happen but uh we're back and we're in business and we're talking international motorcycle show yeah so we were down at the portland international motorcycle show at the end of october first of november that's right so usually when it comes to the pacific northwest it comes to seattle but this year they decided to have it in portland so you went to the Seattle show last year, yep. and you went to the Portland show this year. What, what, what are your thoughts here? Well, I, I felt like uh, they were very similar. Um, I did like the venue down in Portland, I think, a little bit better. It felt like the spacing worked a little bit better. But, um, you know, my general thoughts, i got to tell you this. All right, so I am from the land of the Motor City, okay? And uh, when I was a kid, they would have the Detroit Auto Show. And this is my standard for all other... Uh, convention slash shows. Oh, you're right? hard now. <laughs> That's tough. And the Detroit uh, Auto Show is something to behold. It gets you excited. When you walk in the door, you see just nothing but innovation from manufacturers all around the world. Right, Of course, they're headquartered for the big three, GM, Chrysler, and Ford. But there is so much excitement in the auto show for Detroit, and it just doesn't carry over to the International Motorcycle Show. And I love it. The IMS, it's a great time. But I can't help but get the feeling that, you know, we have all this talk in the motorcycle industry of uh, reach new riders, reach new riders, and then we kind of roll out an event that is a little bit like an afternoon at Costco. Well, that's because you're talking Portland or or Seattle. Sure. Uh, You're talking to the Northwest. You're talking a regional show and not a national show. Right. Uh, You're talking a regional show where you're not going to get a lot of big announcements made. Yeah. And every day the papers want to cover about the new this and that. You're not going to see all the... Um, uh, what I call you know the the, the cars that will never be yeah the concepts yeah the concept uh-huh. stuff you sure. won't see all that although they had one at this show they did yeah BMW rolled one out but um but uh you know it, it, it's a regional show and I think we got to take it for that so was it was it the best regional show in the Northwest this year as opposed to the Spokane motorcycle show the somewhat failed Idaho motorcycle show that hardly anybody ever heard about right. Um, I think it was probably the best put together. Well, I think so. I mean, the IMS still has the cachet there. And look, it's not like it's an awful experience. I don't want to uh, you know, convey that idea at all. It's a good experience. I just wish that they would uh, make a little more effort to deliver more. I mean, Honda was only represented by a local dealer. There was a couple other brands that did the same thing. I don't think Yamaha had yeah. uh, representation Yamaha and there. Yamaha and both had uh, just local dealer representation. So right. that was that was kind of a heartbreak for people because a lot of us wanted to see the Africa Twin. Yeah, absolutely. I would have loved to have seen the Africa Twin. That in itself would have been a reason to go down there and check it out. But, um, you know, all in all, I thought the venue was really good. I had some great people. I had some great conversations with some local reps for BMW, Suzuki. Uh, I talked to the guys at Moto Corsa down in Portland. And uh, Royal Enfield as well, and I really enjoyed my time down there. And I think the venue, I thought this, the layout at least, I thought was really well, really well thought out this year. What were your thoughts on sort of 
the flow. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought, you know, you came through the front door and there was that whole J&P Cycles display right. with all the custom bikes. And I thought that was pretty well done this year. Um, that's, uh, you know, it's in Seattle, they always put that in the bridge yep. overpass and it's kind of buried away from the entrance of the show. Uh, one year at Quest Field, we were the entry of the show. Our display, they actually let everybody in right at that area. So that's the first thing they saw was our display when they came in, which I thought was I really think that's nice. a great idea. Yeah, I'd love to walk in and see a bunch of unique and custom bikes from the region. Um, what overall did you think uh, what was your takeaway? Because you've been – how many international motorcycle shows have you been to through the years? I Fifteen. Mean, Fifteen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> since the start of the uh, – since the start of the magazine, so what was your takeaway? I've, I've been to seventeen. Um, I, I thought, you know, I thought they did it well. Um, <clears throat> there wasn't as many people, and uh, I was kind of wondering about that. And I know that some of the uh, input that we have here on Facebook that we're going to read in a yeah. moment uh, also wonders about that. So uh, I, I did do some homework on that, and I, I understand better why now that there wasn't more people. Sure. Um, but the people who came, they were enthusiastic. They, they were, were talking to us. And, you know, that's one of the nice things, too, for us is if it's not jamming, we can talk to people more. That is true. And uh, I think it's annoying when we get so busy that we have a line going on our booth and people have to wait to get stuff. And, and you know, I don't like to have have to have people wait around. I don't like waiting in line at the bank and all that. So No, I'm with you there. Well, I thought the crowd density I thought was great from a uh, from a rider's perspective, from a visitor's perspective. I agree. I thought that was great. I would just like to see just a little bit more offered up. You know, I'd like to see the brands. I think just maybe get a little bit more excited about it uh, because we have so many passionate riders out here in the Pacific Northwest, and I know we're not alone. We're not isolated in that. And I I do. I want, I'm going to take it for what it is there, and I think it still really is a good experience. I would certainly I'm going to go every year, right? Because it's one of our only opportunities to see the new stuff. But um, you know, I just I'd like to see just a little more excitement from those involved on the participation end. All right, well, let's uh, let's read through a couple of these things. John McGraw says, uh, and I'm going to edit these because uh, some of the grammar here isn't right. Sure. But, uh, I believe what he meant to say is, uh, I thought the st- the stunt show writers were great. Yeah. I never got a chance to go over and see them. But. I just caught the tail end of one of their acts, but yeah, definitely a lot of talented guys down there. So that was uh, that was an enjoyable part, certainly. Uh, Michael Tian says, uh, enjoyed the show. BMW and Ducati had the best dealer boosts. Custom builds were the highlight. Was looking forward to the product vendors, but pretty limited offerings. Say compared to the Salem BMW rally next year, bigger and better. Sure. Okay, I was at the Salem BMW rally. Mm-hmm. That was a national rally, not right. a regional. Um, the BMW rallies are very different from going to a motorcycle show because you've got uh, 5,000 to 8,000 very enthusiastic BMW owners all in one right. place. And so you don't have the leisure people coming in. You have a lot of pragmatic, long-distance type riders all in one spot. And you're going to have uh, a lot of vendors flock to that who sell tours, who sell uh, every gizmo farkel you could put on your bike. Yeah. Uh, they just won't do that well at a regional show like the IMS. Sure. The crowd's too diverse. Uh, I don't know if uh, – I actually thought the vendor selection this year was pretty good compared to recent years. There was some good stuff out there, definitely. I was happy yeah. to see that. You know, you go to so many of these events, right, and it's like, oh, you can get your leather bracelet or your 
anti-fog, and then that seems like that's pretty much it. Yeah, I want more than that. Right. <laughs> but, I, you know, like uh, Trail Tech was there, yep. and uh, their stuff, man, those guys are really on it with all the innovations they have. Yeah. Uh, the radiator guard, the fan, the, yep. the GPS unit, the, and they're all over the place. The lighting, uh, that was pretty pretty interesting stuff. It was nice to see some high-quality vendors there, definitely. And then we had the battle of the heated clothing companies That's going right, on. That's right, yeah. Three different heated clothing vendors all in one place. That was uh, that was something I hadn't well, seen I, before. I suppose it's the one upside of uh, sticking the IMS in the Northwest, at least here, always during the winter or fall months, huh? is that the heated clothing companies do have a chance to come out and uh, display yeah, their wares. Yeah, and there's a reason why you'll never see it in the summer, and we're going to talk about that when we get down to uh, Mr. A. Taylor. Sure. So um, should I go ahead and read a couple more comments off the uh, Facebook thread here? Yeah, start out with uh, Keith. Yeah, so Keith uh, Midas, I believe, says, Loved it. Can't wait for next year. Dave Moore says it shows that this area has a great motorcycle community. I do have to agree with that, right? I, I, I do. I have to agree yeah. with that. I mean, they do their – they do – actually, this is the third show uh, in 2015 that the Portland area has seen. Yeah. They had the one motorcycle show back at the first of the year. Then they had the um, Oregon Motorcycle Expo event that went on this year, which I don't have a lot of information on. Right. Um, and now they had the IMS and uh, pretty good turnout for this one, um, considering the, the the volume of population in the metro region. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing compared uh, for those who might be outside of the Pacific Northwest region here. Seattle, compared to Portland, Seattle is much, much larger population-wise. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you, know, one you, want, thi- you want to run some numbers by on, yeah, on that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's All hear right. some of those numbers. I'm going I'm to talk about this number, but before I do, I'm going to say the simplest way to know – how big your market is in comparison to another market is uh, um, how many Harley shops are there? Mm. So in the Puget Sound, there are eight Harley shops. Okay. In the Portland-Vancouver metro, there are only four. So that would give Back us the first inv- indication. Right. Uh, the next thing I did was I took the number of population for all the counties that surround the Puget Sound – and that turned out to be the three million nine hundred sixty-eight five hundred seventy-eight. Yeah. And then you say about three percent ride. So we have one hundred twelve thousand people that ride motorcycles in the Puget Sound, approximately. Yep, I'd say that's good. Back the envelope math there. In in the Portland Vancouver Metro, we only have forty-five thousand eight hundred based on that county population by 3% analysis. Mm-hmm. So really, the market's only um, 38% as large yeah. as, the, as the Seattle Puget Sound Metro. So that begs the question, why did uh, the IMS make the decision to move it down to Portland, do you think? So the company line on that was they could not get a date in Seattle. Uh, now, I don't know what dates they were looking for. I thought it was actually a good idea to go down there. I mean, I, I I don't argue with that. I think it's nice to kind of mix it up a little bit, right? Because there is there's only so much from year to year that you can show. So maybe like an alternating year system might be beneficial to the region. And having done this for 17 years, um, a, a, a number of the regular vendors, we have a conversation. We talk about, you know, it's a, basically a show gets a little stale. 
Um, people don't want to pay the parking rate in Seattle. They don't want to do the travel in, travel out, that sort of thing. Right. So now, of course, that didn't mean that everybody from Seattle went to the Portland show. Of course not. But I will say there was a pretty nice turnout of people that I know that came down from Seattle to support the show. So that was nice to see, too. Right. And, yeah, I think, uh, and this is just a rumor here, I think that they well, they said they couldn't find a venue here. Their first thought was that they were going to move it to Oklahoma City, but we got them to bring it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and Howard Schultz was going to just a little basketball show. humor there yeah, for there uh, for our fellow basketball fans. But uh, <laughs> um, and then Taylor has a comment here. Should I go ahead and read this, and you can respond? Is that uh, yeah, sure? I go think ahead. so. Uh, a Taylor uh, Musburger says, "Do you have any influence over the dates for this? Want to ride to the shows, but why have them in the winter? What are?" The dates, what are the Minnesota, Minnesota dates again? Better bring a snowmobile, exclamation point. Yeah, Thanks for so, that comment, Taylor. So, A. Taylor, here's what we know. Uh, you try to have a motorcycle show in the middle of summer when everybody's out at rallies sure. and doing tours and that sort of thing. You That's won't true. get to turn out. You definitely won't. Number two is the dealers don't want to deal with it because that's when they're doing their Busy big season. business. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to lose their staff to go and, and uh, you know, ramp up a show and then sort, sort of try to run the shop on a half staff in the summer. They definitely don't want to do that. So I don't think you're ever going to see a show in the summertime. Uh, but there are always rallies that right. you can go to that do have vendors. We have our own, and there's a number of them in the area. So you take your uh, favorite riding style and find out what that rally is and go to that. I think that's a good idea. A uh, personal opinion here, though, from you, Tom. Would it be better to have a fall slash winter motorcycle show on Saturday and Sunday, or better to have a midsummer show when the dealers are closed on Sunday and Monday? Yeah, the fall. The fall. The okay. fall. Winter. Yeah, fair so, enough. Yeah. yeah. And and by the way, thank you to Advanced Star for not having the show Friday night. Right. Because we don't do much business on Friday night. We all get stuck in there until eight or nine, and you know a lot of dinner places are starting to shut down. And yeah. I thought it was great to have the two-day show. I think that's better. Concentrate it. Focus yep. on uh, having more with less time so people can all come down there and kind of gather together and take advantage of that moto camaraderie, right? So one of our regular friends, Glenn Camo, has, has something to say here. He says, uh, honestly, it's half the size of the Seattle show. Honda and Yamaha didn't even have a booth. The local dealers are getting some good exposure, though. So, yeah, this is what happens on local motorcycle shows. If you've never been to the Spokane show before, uh, what I can tell you is is there's no OEM truck for any manufacturer. Sure. It's all put on by the local dealers. Right. So um, uh, you saw a little bit of that with this show. Uh, it wasn't that there wasn't a single Yamaha in there. The guys were there. I think it was uh, uh, Vancouver, the the Storm Vancouver. Yes. Uh, Pro Caliber. Yep, you're they, right. They had some Yamahas in there. In fact, they had the tastiest little 450F that was painted yellow. I did see that, yeah. With the Yamaha racing colors on it. Yep. It was beautiful. Uh, and now they have a UTV of the same color, so they had to toot it next to each other. Oh, nice. Nice little pairing there. Uh, Honda, yep. They didn't have a, an OEM truck come in, but the guys from Hillsboro came over, and I thought they did a pretty good job setting up that booth yeah. and, and showing what they could. Um, I, I would like to see the manufacturers... You know, I, I worked in the record industry. When we said a record was coming out on a certain date, by God, it it came out mm-hmm. on that date. And when we say that there's a 2016 model, don't not have it in the country before 
you know, don't don't bring in a country after the show. We right. want to see it at the show. That's exciting. Speaking and we're of the, for that. the Honda Africa Twin, so right? that Africa Twin yeah. should have been in there. They should have found a way to send one up here that those guys could have had in the booth. Yep. And it's not like it's going to steal the fire out of the Long Beach show no. by not having its official debut. No. And there's so many there's so many dual sport adventure bike riders here in the Northwest. Exactly. Right? I mean, this, this is, is going to be a huge market, market for that, for yeah. that bike. The and guys down in California are going to be are going to be horse trading those bikes up to the Pacific Northwest right. when the dealers up here run out. It's true. I tell you, there's one thing that definitely probably the uh, BMW folks looked around and they said, "Hey, great, another year without the Africa Twin here, right? We'll put the 800 GS back out." But uh, I would have really <laughs> liked to have seen that. There. Yeah, I would have really liked to have seen that there. Um, and just a couple for uh, a couple more comments. Uh, Kelly George just says more parts vendors. Uh, what do you think about parts in particular? I mean, uh, I don't know what Kelly's looking for parts-wise. Yeah. Um, there's not. Uh, is there really such a thing as more parts vendors? I mean, we saw a pretty good. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be, have to be like the aftermarket stuff, right? For... Yeah, aftermarket, and and then the guys from uh, from the uh, Beaverton Honda, they had a huge section yeah. that they commandeered to put apparel in and helmets and all that. Uh, you know, but if you're I don't think I remember a motorcycle show where there was a bunch of, quote, parts. Right. Like well, sprockets and chains and yeah. spark plugs. And this brings up a, kind of a question that uh, I would like to ask you because, like you said, 17 international motorcycle shows. Now, despite my earlier comments here where, you know, comparing it to the Detroit Auto Show and that kind of thing, one item that I was thinking about is how has internet retail impacted these shows, right? Because now it's like, the blowout deals, the uh, you know, the selection of parts and everything, like you can see it all online. So, have you seen a shift in say the last fifteen years in these shows as far as having the aftermarket stuff? Is there less of an impetus for riders to go to these shows just simply because you can get on your smartphone? Uh, down at the Burgerville and check out everything. Or? No, I never saw a lot of parts vendors yeah. anytime. Okay. What what the shift I've seen is there's a lot of crap vendors that yeah. aren't there anymore. Like the guy who show, who sold the Sham Wows. <laughs> And and the guy who uh, sold the uh, the polish for aluminum, and he'd sit there for an entire weekend and polish up beer kegs. Wow! And we don't see him at the show anymore. And I yeah. don't think he needs to be. There. I don't think that they need to be there. I would the Shamwell guys don't need to come, and they, they you know they didn't move enough to make it worth their while, and they don't come anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, but like I said, like seeing the. Trail Tech there. They got a lot of innovative stuff. Yeah, Trail Tech did a great job. There's a couple of vendors I thought should have been there that didn't did, didn't get booths. Right. Um, I thought Langlet's Leathers should have had a booth there, and it turns out that they didn't really know that the show was happening. Mm. So they obviously haven't been reading their sound writer. That's right. So for all you uh, parts and apparel vendors, right, make sure you subscribe to uh, get the latest updates on when these are coming to town. And we had um, the bike from Giant Loop. The CB500X in our booth. Yes. But I think that it would have been good for Giant Loop to have had a display there. Um, their other competitor, Moscow, was there with a the booth. Yep. Um, and some people say, well, the booth prices are too high. Okay, well, here's what the booth prices are. If you were a new vendor, it was like 1040 or 1060. Mm-hmm. If you're an, uh, if you're an already been there before vendor, you're paying like 1260 for a 10 by 10 booth. Well, folks, that's what we paid right. in 1999. Really, no for a inflation. Booth at the show, we paid a thousand bucks. Wow. So it isn't 
more. And in fact, it's a deal now. Yeah. And if you're going to come out with a new product, like there was a guy there with a chain lube device who was peddling them around, just showing them to people. He didn't have a booth or anything. He should have ponied up and got a booth. Yeah. If he's if he's really going to get behind his product, I got behind my product in 1999. I right. ponied up and got a booth. Well, I wasn't going to make any money that weekend, right. but I had to be out there. People had to see my product. They had to play with Soundwriter and learn what it was, and, and we've been back every year. Still pressing the flesh is the best way, right? Absolutely. Um, and I will say on that, too, I circled uh, the entire show several times on Saturday, and every time I went around, there was always – uh, a couple of people at the Gordon's Heated Clothing. So that yeah. just goes to show, right? I mean, you get your product out there. People want to know about it. They want to talk to you. Joanne and Bob did a great job out there, I thought. And I was happy to see them down there, too. Yeah, that was good that they got in there and, and, and got that booth, got their name in front of people. And even if there was two other Heated Clothing vendors in there, you know, we we know where the good stuff's at. Right. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, I will make a comment about the food. Yeah. Uh, I had my fingers crossed it was going to be good, but for, for the most part, it was not very good. Was that like the uh, the in-house stuff that they were yeah, making the there? Yeah, the little sandwich shop. And, uh, but I did find there was a bistro upstairs near the entrance. Oh, really? Yeah, and they had really good food for about the same prices. Oh, well, that would have been something that would have been beneficial to know. I must admit, uh, my day down there on Saturday... Uh, consisted of food wise anyway, a trip to the Burgerville down the street and the Starbucks. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, let's see what we got. Another one here. It's a couple uh, more comments, I think, from Jim Geddes, who just says <coughs> awesome and do it again next year. And then Bob Athey Jr., who says great, but needs to be larger like Seattle. Come on, Portland. This can be done here. All right. Well, a little encouragement from Bob. Okay, Bob, but remember, there's only 38% of the amount of people that ride motorcycles down yeah. in the Portland metro, so it's going, to be, it's going to be as big as it could be. I, I don't know, square footage-wise, I never got a number on that, but it looked to me like it was maybe about the same size as Seattle. You know, it felt similar in size. Uh, maybe the one big difference is sort of that sky bridge here in Seattle, right? Where they had the JMP cycles last year, that kind of yeah, that's the be, only thing because because right. foot, footprint wise, it felt the same size to me, and um, you know in Seattle, what you saw year after year up at the convention center was the black curtains kept coming in tighter and tighter, so the footprint yeah. was actually getting smaller, right? And there was just huge gaps of there concrete was. space out beyond there that wasn't getting used at all. And I know that's what they do in the convention center. And uh, they didn't do that the first year, yeah. but then they slowly but surely just start seeing those coming in. But I think uh, overall I'm in agreement with our last comment here from Randy Stewart, who said uh, it was an excellent event, and uh, we'll go again. And we'll go again, whether it's in Portland or Seattle. We want to be there. We want to support it. I want to thank everybody who brought a bike in. Um, now, I guess what we'll do is do a little break here, and uh, and then we'll come back, and I've got some interviews that I'm going to play, and we can – chat about those this is garden robinette from trail tech makers of voyager you're listening to the sound Rider show so mike monahan out of Tualatin, oregon and most recent trip on my klr 650 2015 was down the oregon coast and we camped at some great uh, state parks uh, the weather was phenomenal just had a great great time and then just before that we did the oregon backcountry discovery route number four from sisters to seneca and it was terrific, too. Great time, great weather, and uh, the bike performed just great. 
back for part two of the International Motorcycle Show. And uh, what we've got is uh, our satchel's full of eight different interviews here, so we're going to play each one, and then we're going to comment on them. And our first one is going to be, we'll do the one you did with Royal Enfield. Sounds great. Yeah, let's check it out. Recording live from the International Motorcycle Show in Portland. Sound Rider listeners, thanks for tuning in. I'm here with a rather interesting interview today. I've got uh, Bree Poland, the social media and digital marketing manager for the North American division of Royal Enfield. Bree, thanks for being on the Sound Rider Show. Hey, thanks for asking. <laughs> so, uh, Bree, we've had a couple of social media posts and uh, some discussion on some previous podcasts. And I understand that you just have moved from Washington to D.C. to Milwaukee. And it's not to work for Harley-Davidson. What's going on with Royal Enfield in Milwaukee? So the president of our company is from Harley-Davidson, and most of our B- VPs are from Harley. So they figured, why, just, why not just stay there? We don't feel like there's a competition between us and Harley. We feel like we're a complement to them. And Milwaukee is the epicenter for motorcycling in our, in our mind. So. And uh, I would tend to agree with that, especially about being sort of complementary motorcycles. For one, we're looking at prices that are about one-third to one-half, right? Yeah, our price point can't be beat, especially for a bike. We want it to be obtainable, and pricing is one of those things to make a bike obtainable. So our, our bike starts at 4900 and it goes up to 59995 Sorry. And again, I agree with that. Now, um, this is going to be sort of a transition because in the past, as my understanding, Royal Enfield hasn't had a North American headquarters. Probably in the last couple of years of average, maybe somewhere between two and 3,000 sales per year here in North America. So what's the strategy? What can we look forward to as not just uh, Pacific Northwest riders, but just uh, North American riders in general? So last year, we actually had our best year of bike, uh, of bike sales, and that was 1,000. So not two to three. We would like that. We're, we're maybe in the future. Um, I forget the rest of what you asked me. I'm having a blonde moment. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. So I'm just kind of, kind of uh, interested in maybe the general overall strategy, right? Because something that we talk about a lot uh, in the motorcycle industry with some of our sponsors and just with guys that we know is, uh, you know, trying to reach those new markets. So not just the old timers, uh, so to speak, but also maybe the millennials and some of the younger crowd. What's Royal Enfield's take on that as they enter this new market with that low price point? Well, we're looking at a bunch of different demographics. You know, the urban environment, women riders, uh, new riders, people that want to own a second motorcycle. motorcycle. We also believe that this bike is really, our bikes are really customizable. So when we have such a great price point, people can actually spend the money really, you know, making that bike theirs and personalizing it. In the next year, we really plan on opening about 100 dealers across the United States. We'll take, keep some of the existing ones that the distributor opened, and then we'll just look at markets where we think that we belong. Seattle, Portland, Chicago, Miami, those markets, we think that the bike would really sell well there. Well, it sounds like those cities that you named, too, specifically, uh, that's where we are seeing a lot of uh, first-time riders in their 20s and 30s. So would you say that maybe the strategy is leaning uh, a little heavy towards right now getting those new riders? Definitely. Um, I don't think we're going to put 100% focus on that, but we do realize that new riders are a big market for us. And again, the price point, you're not, and the bike itself is not scary. It's a, it's a beautiful, simple motorcycle, and I, we think it would appeal to new riders. And I love the styling of the Royal Enfield. You know, I like um, a little bit, comparatively wise anyway, lower CC, a little easier to maintain. And I think that there's a lot of, pe- of appeal to that on its face. What would you say to maybe the Royal Enfield reputation of 
to be needing a lot of upkeep. Do you Have you seen that uh, in your experience with Royal Enfield? Or maybe for those first-time riders that are listening, trying to decide behind, uh, between maybe like an NC700X from Honda or Royal Enfield, would you have any maybe recommendations there? I think the bike is easy to work on. They, want to try to, they wanted to try to simplify it. So even if there isn't a service station near you, it's something that you can download the service manual and you can really fix your bike on the side of the road. There, it's, it's not as... Uh, advanced in regards that you have, like with the Ducati, you have to take it to the shop if you have any major issues. We want to make it so the average person can work on their motorcycle, and I think we've gotten to that point. And things are going to evolve over time, and we need to hear what people want. You know, want changes, and our ears are open, and we're ready to listen. So if there are things that people think that you know could be better, could be worse, you know, we're willing to listen. Well, and that's all part of the process. And frankly, you know, the, the daily stuff as far as tune-up, for me, that's part of the fun, right? You want to be on a bike where you can actually have access to that. You don't feel like you have to take in your $18,000 piece of equipment for a $500 service every, you know, 2,000 miles. I think the less complicated, um, the better, and it makes people more excited about it. You know, if, if they can ride their bike, wrench on their own bike, and really get to know it, you have a bigger appreciation. All right. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, first so, time. Uh, first time I'd heard it. Um, the motorcycles are complementary to Harley Davidson. Well, would, wouldn't you think that they're not direct competitors? I mean, that would be kind of my my perspective on that, just because of the price points there. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. You know, I think they're they're indirectly. <laughs> that's not the right word either. But it's going to be different buyers. It's not. I don't think it's complimentary. Like, like that sounds to me like when she says that, it sounds like well, if you own a Harley, you're going to want to own one of these too. Uh, no, you probably want to own a BMW. Is what we see in our numbers. I see what you mean. Yeah, I guess I didn't take the uh, the comment uh, specifically to mean that. I thought maybe more that they weren't direct competitors. But perhaps you're right there. Um, I would say probably. Well, I guess I don't know. Maybe there could be some people who would own like a touring Harley Davidson and then a, a Royal Enfield on the side, right? I think what it'll be is it'll be it's going to be an entry level motorcycle. Yeah, uh, somebody who wants to get into doing the customizable, and now we're going to sell a bunch of aftermarket accessories and that sort of thing. They can they can go do all that for under ten grand, right? And then maybe later they're going to say, okay, I've had my fun with this thing. Now I'm going to go get me a Harley. Yeah, I mean, I could see some truth to that, too. I think a lot of people would probably take that path. But, uh, you know, styling-wise and everything, they had a couple of bikes there on the showroom floor. Royal Enfield's got great styling. You know, I can't uh, say that I've ever ridden one, but uh, they're beautiful bikes. Yeah, and it's not just cruisers that they're doing. They've got these cafe bikes yeah. and that sort of thing that are cool. And, and the fit and finish is getting better. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering where the motors are at. I know that uh, that can be an issue. Like a lot of those bikes, you don't want to take them on the freeway because they can't handle it for a long time. I think that they've made some updates in the last couple of years there. But what do you think uh, about the ambition to open up 100 dealers in the next year? That's ambitious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe they can pull it off. I don't know. Yeah, well, I wish them the best of luck, certainly. Um, it sounded to me like she was going to be maybe giving away free maintenance classes with every purchase. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, You know, I have heard from, from some Royal Enfield owners that, uh, you know, that is a bit of a misnomer on the maintenance there. Again, I've never owned or ridden one, so I can't speak to their long-term, uh, you know, their longevity, longer term as far as ownership is concerned. But I do know that uh, for a simple straightforward bike for about six grand i mean that's a pretty good deal right yeah for a starter bike yeah and then you, you probably want to cut it loose when you find out it only goes 50 miles an hour <laughs> well you still get almost 100 miles to the gallon i guess is the trade-off there 
All right, let's go to the next one here. Um, this is me on the floor talking to Arun of Moto Corsa. All right, um, I'm out here with uh, Arun from Moto Corsa, and I'm looking at a couple of Ducati models that are all tricked up with uh, TKC 80 tires on them, and they're filthy. And there's some sort of story behind that. How did this come to be? Well, you know the deal, Tom. We've got uh, the two bikes here are the Terra Corsa and the Terra Strada. The Terra Strada is based on the Multistrada 1200S platform, and the Terra Corsa is the 1199 Panigale Superbike that we started this whole crazy adventure on. And we do a trip to the Steens every year with a group of friends. And for the fun of it, one year we put TKC80s on a 1199 Panigale just to see what it would do. We loved it so much, we painted it rattle can military green, and now it's probably the most famous Ducati on the planet. So, listeners, imagine the Panigale sport bike painted out in a flat military color. And this one's been dropped a few times. I can see that, too. Um, I, I would be shocked if I was going down a Forest Service road and found this bike coming at me. It, it's, uh, I'm going to take a picture of it, and we'll try to put it up online. And uh, so uh, you, you have been using my books for a while. Where's your favorite place to ride these days? Well, I got to tell you, this, the Steens, I, lo I love your books because I find all these roads I didn't know about. True endorsement, not paid for. But uh, the, the southern Oregon part of the Steens and the last trip we did to the Oahe Canyon was unbelievable. Tough, really tough, but unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, that's a good place to ride. And, uh, yeah, we know people who break their bones down there all the time, so... All right, well, it's good talking to you. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you. So anybody who doesn't remember when Derek broke his bones last summer, that was down near the Hawaii Canyon, right? Well, let's be fair, though. Bone, singular, it was just the once. <laughs> and I was not on a, uh, on a sport bike with off-road tires. I was on a full-fledged dual sport there. What uh, what did you think of that uh, that bike that um, Arun had? Well, built you know out when there? we started the interview, he says uh, he says to me, "Well, you know the deal, Tom." And I thought, "Oh my God, is he going to fire me now?" Right. Or, uh, <laughs> um, I thought it was crazy. I thought I take a thirty thousand dollar motorcycle yeah. and turn it into a dual sport. Uh, I've I seen a guy do this with a CBR 1100 before, mm -hmm. or maybe it was a 929, uh, and he even had like an axe attached to the frame, you know, as the frame comes up. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and it makes no sense at all to me. You need to be able to stand up on a bike. These kind of bikes are not conducive to standing on. So That's true. I'm sure it, it presented quite a, quite a challenge for a room to ride that on a daily basis. And I can only imagine how that thing handled uh, in the twisties, right, in its native environment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, and like, you know, if you're going to blow 30 grand on the bike and then do the modifications, we have some programs here at Soundrider that need some funding, and I think we could better spend that money. Right, that's right. If you've got 30 grand lying around, send it our way. But, you know, on a personal note, I always like it, I guess, when people just kind of throw their hands up and say, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to give this a shot. And it looked cool. It got a lot of attention. It was really, you know, in my opinion, one of the highlights of the show down there, actually, to see that. And, and honestly, you know, hats off to Arun for getting involved in stuff like that. That's what makes it fun in the industry. And, uh, hey, if they got that kind of money to throw around and make me laugh, what the heck, you know? Right. But um, but it's always fun to, to see people do crazy stuff like that. It's always a showstopper, and uh, it, it was cool to see it. So we'll we'll get some pictures up. I'll probably do a little bit for, uh, for the show in the November issue when I get it up next week and we'll have some pictures. 
Okay, the next one coming up is with uh, the Eastern Oregon tourism guy. I made my way over to the Eastern Oregon Visitors Association, and I am here with Jared Mickelson, who's one of the representatives at the booth this weekend. Jared, say hi to the Soundrider listeners. Hello, Soundrider listeners. So, um, Eastern Oregon Visitors Association, uh, over the last maybe decade, you've had a number of events uh, pop up in the area that are motorcycle-focused. Tell us about a few of those events. Sure. So we've got a couple going on over there. We're just trying to get people east of Bend, which is not eastern Oregon. Uh, get them over to uh, the Wallowa County Thunder Run. It takes place in August every year. Um, we've got uh, Pendleton Bike Week happens in July. And then, of course, the Hell's Canyon Rally. Um, those are more geared towards street riders. But there is uh, the Wallowa Valley Gathering and Enterprise, which is a dual sport uh, kind of rally where they get together about 400 of them and go ride the hundreds of miles of trails that... Uh, Eastern Oregon's got to offer that way. So. so so, tell us what kind of motorcycle you ride. I ride a 2007 Harley-Davidson Ultra Limited. Okay. And uh, how does that feel when you're out on those dual sport trails? <laughs> yeah. uh, I try to stay off of those as much as I can, unless you're in Sturgis and you're trying to get around people. All right. Uh, so, uh, some of the favorite roads that you like over there. Oh, I tell you, if you uh, get out there and you're in Joseph Enterprise area and uh, you want a beautiful, curvy, windy road, head north to Lewiston over Rattlesnake Grade. Uh, it's about 80 miles of uh, twisty, windy forest uh, down into the uh, entry to Hell's Canyon, uh, back out the other side, up into the Palouse. Yeah, I love all that. And, uh, and we know that there's something that's very important to motorcyclists when they go riding in an area, and that is food. So tell us some of the tips on where to eat when we're over in eastern Oregon. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of places. We've, if you go to uh, WallowCountyThunderRun.com, uh, we've got a map that shows the biker-friendly bars, a uh, list of uh, restaurants and places to go. But uh, my favorite place over in eastern Oregon is the Stubborn Mule Steakhouse and Saloon in Joseph. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on with us today. You bet. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so what's your favorite biker-friendly bar? Uh, my favorite biker-friendly bar. Well, <laughs> do they have to serve alcohol or can they serve coffee and tea? Because I might have a few in the area here. But, you know, <sighs> Eastern Oregon is, uh, is sparsely populated, but that means a lot of open roads, a lot of great roads out there. Do you have any favorites on that area? I have a whole bunch of favorites. Yeah. I have so many favorites, I wrote a book about it. You wrote a book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> Highway 19 is awesome. Sure. Um, and like you said, Bend isn't Eastern Oregon, but it's, I'd still put it on my list, you know, because it's, it's on the east side of the Cascades. Right. So, but it's Central Oregon. Um, but just, you know, the road he's talking about uh, between Walloa and Enterprise is, is uh, really nice, and the Enterprise up to um, uh, Clarkson Lewiston area is yeah. really nice roads. Um, in fact, he, he got me kind of salivating. I'm thinking maybe I, it's time to go and spend a week or two over there next summer. It's just, it's, it's, it's just awesome. It's always a good time. Have you ever uh, been to the Stubborn Mule, the restaurant that he mentioned there? No, I haven't. Yeah. So we'll have to, well, there's a steakhouse that we like, uh, down, I think it's in uh, a town called Haney, mm-hmm. just north of Baker. That's really a nice steakhouse. Um, there's, there are, you know, that's a thing. If you get the book, I'm not trying to sell the book, course, but the book yeah. does have a lot of recommended restaurants in One it, so you don't just end up guys, in a greasy yeah. spoon every time. Uh, and it's not easy to find the good ones over there. That's true. So, 
they're few and far between. Uh, but yeah, Hell's Canyon Motorcycle Rally, Pendleton Rally, the stuff he's talking about. I didn't even know about that dual sport event. I, that's the first time I heard about that one. So we'll have to do some homework on that and get it in the calendar. I agree with that because it's just such a great place to ride. The more uh, events going on in that area, the merrier. So speaking of the Pendleton Bike Week, um, this is uh, next one coming up is uh, a little interview with Eric from Pendleton Bike Week. Exciting stuff. So I'm over here at the uh, Pendleton Bike Week booth, and uh, I got uh, Eric Folkstead here, the founder of the rally, with me. And it's really easy to get in and talk to him because he's got, like, this young blonde woman sitting in the front, and everybody wants to talk to her, and nobody wants to talk to you. What do you have to say? I love it. This is great. It's great to be here. It's good to see you, Tom. And what a great show here in Portland, huh? Turned out super It's a pretty good show. So uh, you were telling me the other night about some uh, possible musical artists. Have you have you actually signed these people yet? We have three um, bands that our uh, booking agent is working on right now, and it's between the Guess Who. Uh, we tried to get the Doobie Brothers, but they have a 40-city tour next year, so we couldn't get them. Uh, three Dog Night, even though one of them died, they have a backup singer that's just as good. <laughs> And uh, one other band that we're working on. So, um, it, uh, so John, one way or another, you got some good oh, talent yeah, coming yeah, up. Absolutely, and lots of entertainment. Bike show uh, this year. We're gonna our bike show sponsors the Wounded Warrior Project, and we also have this is crazy the West Coast Bikini Bike Wash Competition. Oh, that's okay, perfect. Championships. And uh, you you know I think you stole that idea from my rally. Yeah, of course yeah. I did. And uh, it's a fundraiser for uh, Fallen Rider that we had last year, and, and the money goes to his family. So, oh, that's nice. We're going to have poker runs, um, great events, lots of vendors, um, just a great time to get together in the, in the Blue Mountains and enjoy motorcycling. Now, in the booth here, you've got this purple Harley-Davidson 105. Yeah, 105 road, or 103? It's a Road King, and it has a 30-inch 30, 30 front end. 30-inch front wheel. You know, I was looking at my NX650 in the garage here, and I noticed that the front wheel was gone. Is this is this my front wheel? Actually, no. This one, <laughs> we had to custom build this. And this was uh, winner, best custom last year in our bike show. And it's owned by James Hempstead uh, out of Tri-Cities, Washington. And this has a, like a flat purple paint job, which is kind of cool. It's very cool. It looks almost dragon-esque. Will this be at the show next year? Yes, it will. And, and many others uh, very similar to this. All right. So, yeah, if you're into the cruisers, if you like the bikes with the 30-inch front wheels other than mine, um, you want to get down to the Pendleton Bike Week next year. Yeah, it's July 20th through the 24th. It's going to be a great time. We have the Seattle Cossacks. Uh, Precision Drill Team will be there. Uh, we also have added in a hill climb here. It's oh, nice. National Hill Climb Association. It's a pro hill climb. And we have a shell bus that runs back and forth out there. It's about a mile. And a tattoo contest. Yes, we have a tattoo contest. Awesome. Lots of fun. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. All right, Tom. It's a pleasure. So are you going to go? It sounds like a, a hell of an event. Now, last year, was that the first year for them? Or? Yeah, that was yeah. the first year. But, you know, he's he's done the Hell's Canyon Rally right. with his brother in the past. So sure. he, he kind of knows what he's doing. He's experienced. Yeah, well, he's obviously got some uh, potentially big-name rock and roll bands coming down there, too. Who would be your uh, ideal get for a rock and roll act for a rally like this? Oh, uh, gee, I don't know. Yeah. 
Probably somebody that you'd never heard of or something. Oh, okay. You know? I got you. Well, no, that wouldn't do the listeners. I have so much stuff that I like that no one's ever heard of. Sure, yeah. Well, that wouldn't do the listeners too much good, but what would probably do them some good is to get that uh, that blonde who was taking all the tra- the uh, <laughs> attraction away, uh, maybe here on the podcast for an interview, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it was easy to get to him. Yeah. Well, Once I'm sure I got she's a daily rider, so. Um, yeah, the bike was cool That with that flat Sounds like it, yeah. paint job on there. And, uh, you know, it's certainly different from our rally. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> but it's good to have that kind of variety, don't you think? It I mean, is. It's it nice is. to have uh, to cover all different genres of motorcycling here. That's one of the great things, actually, about the region is we do have riders from all aspects. And, you know, if you don't like the idea of the bikini bike wash, remember, it's it's for a good cause. Right. So That's right. They're all for a good cause as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's the only guy I ever knew who ever did a, a fun run, and then uh, the winner of the fun run uh, got, a, like, a forty five caliber pistol. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's something to strap onto your uh, Ducati Panigale, right? Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Take that with you when you dual sport your... Your $30,000 bike. Just in case. All right. Uh, next up here, we got Quint from Rich's Custom Seats. Uh, I'm over here at Rich's Custom Seats, and uh, Rich isn't here. But Quint's here, and he's going to tell us about the show special. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Portland International Motorcycle Show. Glad to see everybody here. Looks like we've got a good turnout. We're in booth 1106, and we've got a display of all the kinds of custom seats we do. Uh, we also have a show special uh, for the winter. If you want to come up and make an appointment in during this winter, we'll give you 50 bucks off. And come over to our booth, 1106, and check out all we got to show you. Okay, so, Quint, we're actually on the podcast now, and the show's already over. Oh. <laughs> so so can can somebody, if they heard the podcast, can they get the show special anyways? Oh, yeah. Come on in. Uh, give us a call. Make an appointment. It's 360-881-0881, and we'd be happy to make you an appointment. And if you just mention the winter special, we'll give you 50 bucks off. Awesome. And uh, over here I see a heated seat. Yes. And uh, you guys have done two for me, and I love them because they warm up my core <laughs> and the arteries that go down to my feet. So uh, now uh, wintertime is when you put a lot of these heated seats in. Tell, tell the folks, what do they got to do if they want to get their heat, seat heated? Oh, all you got to do is come into the shop. Um, if we're also doing the custom fitting at the same time, it, it doesn't cost as much. Um, we have three different types of heating elements for our seats now. Uh, originally, we had just one heating element, and it was on or off. Mm-hmm. Now we've got heating elements that have off, high, and low. And now we also have dual heating elements, so you can get both seats, and they each have off, high, and low. Awesome, because I've got the original one that was on or off. Yeah. And then I have to make the decision, am I going to shut it off or lift my butt up off the seat? <laughs> so I'm glad you have the option now. Well, thanks for coming on with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. So is there a heated seat in your future? There may be. You know, I don't know. Do you think my uh, battery load can handle it on the DR350? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> So I'll have to put a battery backpack on and then uh, plug it into the seat there. Well, because you already have uh, you have the Gordon's gloves now. I've got the heated gloves now, yeah. I'm looking to get those uh, hopefully installed here in just the next couple of weeks. All right. So, yeah, uh, you still want to get the winter special, call up Rich's. They'll take care of you. 
Uh, our last one is going to be with the Langlets guys, who I had hoped would have had a booth there, but they didn't. But I caught up with them anyways, and we had a little conversation. All right. Um, these guys didn't have a booth at the show this year, but they sure should have, and I know they will next year if it's in Portland. But I'm sitting here with Scott and uh, Benny from uh, Langlet's Leathers, which is a company founded here in Portland 69 years ago by Mr. Langlet's. And uh, give us a little history on what's going on with him now. Boy, the original guy, Ross Langlet's, he died in 1989. His daughter, Jackie, still owns the place. And when she's tired of playing with uh, Benny and I, it'll be uh, his, her daughter, Judy, grandson, or granddaughter of uh, Ross. Okay, and so uh, next year you guys have the 70th anniversary coming up. So give me a little scoop on what's happening with the 70th anniversary. What kind of products might you be coming out with, that sort of thing? Definitely lots of T-shirts, sweatshirts, stuff like that, celebrating the 70 years of Langlet's Leathers. Maybe a special edition jacket type deal. Yeah, we might do a special edition label just for the one year, but, you know, our products, leather-wise, never change. Yeah. Okay, so you guys are still planning that out. Do you think you're going to expand the line beyond where it's been in the past? you you look at, look at doing that at all? Not really. You know, Ross did it right back then, and we try to do everything and stay true to his vision, you know, with the, the same jackets he designed in 1947. Mm-hmm. No, uh, no reason to change. If it ain't broke, we're not going to fix it. So I know I've been into the shop in Portland, and I go in, and on one side is a little bit of, of retail, and on the other side is all the sewing going on. So is everything being made here in Portland? Yes, everything's made here in Portland. Uh, we try to source out everything from the United States, our leather, our, our lining, everything, and uh, everything's handmade in the shop. Are those good Northwest cows we're using? Uh, I think they're good Wisconsin cheese cows, <laughs> but they're good cows, no doubt. All right. Well, folks, um, when you're ever in Portland, make sure you do your homework on Langlet's. Go down and check out their shop. They've got a lot of history, a lot of cool stuff, and uh, it's good stuff. We'll, uh, thank you guys for coming on. Hey, thanks for having us, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So I see you working on your phone over there. You must be looking up Langlet's. Huh? Yeah, I was on the website there. I just wanted to see some of the jacket styling and stuff. It looks like some really good stuff. If you're hey, a leather guy, I it's think. It's kind of like the bad boy Street Fighter stuff. Yeah. And um, they do full suits. They do uh, some of the stuff. I guess people use it for racing. I know that David Huff had a full suit. And it turns out that David actually gave his suit back to them uh, for archival sake, I guess. Oh, really? Because now he's not riding anymore. But. Um, well, some good looking stuff here anyway. And uh, it's a kind of you know traditional leather. Um, motorcycling apparel here, but it looks like, especially with the custom fitting and all that, you could probably get a really good fit. So about 40% of what they do goes overseas. No kidding. Yep. Did they say which market overseas? or? Well, it changes based on the economy, but uh, I mean, they're big in Europe and they're big in Japan. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're one of those Japanese street boys, you've got to have a bad boy jacket, so you start with the Langlets. I guess so, yeah, straight out of Portland. It looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Working on the trade deficit there, shipping uh, leather motorcycle gear out of the country. That's great. Good for those guys. Seems like some nice folks down there. So anyways, that's uh, that's our interviews from the show. We're going to uh, break off here, and we'll be back with a little tip for you in just a second. Yeah, my name is Norton Norm, and I really like coming to the Backfire Motor Night. Hello, this is Harold Olaf Cecil from Giant Loop, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Oh, 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 oh.
coming up at the end of the podcast here. Everybody, thanks for tuning in again to the Sound Rider Show this November issue. And of course, here on the Sound Rider Show, we always like to end with sort of a tip of the month. And I think Tom has got a great one coming off the IMS this year. Tom, give our readers uh, something to look forward to. Well, this one's actually coming off of the road trip tour. Okay, perfect. When I yeah. was uh, down in Oregon on my way home on the following Saturday and uh, went back and took a look at the chain and said, uh-oh. This puppy's toast. Right, on the NC-700, right? Yeah, so I did an adjustment on it, but sure enough, I could pull the back of it and see through the sprockets. And so uh, came back up, went over to Hinshaw's and ordered up a new chain. And then I realized later I probably should get new sprockets. Uh, And so I kind of... Went around with some friends on this, and basically the consensus is, yeah, when it's time to put on a new chain, it's time to put on new sprockets. Yeah. Because if you don't, what you'll do is wear the new chain out sooner. And so are you really saving any money by not replacing those sprockets? Um, it's also a good time for you to inspect those little uh, rubbers in the hubs back there. Sure. See if they're getting old and cracking. You need those back there. So if they need to be replaced, you got to do that. Uh, when you have that rear wheel off, it's also a good time, if you want, to replace a rear wheel bearing. Yeah, always nice, right, when you take any part off, if it's the chain or whatever you're working on, even if you're changing the oil, just to kind of get the whole bike up and take a look at everything, I think, is always a good suggestion. Absolutely, absolutely. So winter's a great time to change your chain and sprocket. It may not be totally there yet, but is that something you really want to do in the summer? Right. Or do you want to just... You know, have a clear head going into spring That's and, a, right. and a fresh chain and sprocket set. Get out and ride, yeah. Now, I also have just a quick uh, tip of the month for our listeners as well. And my tip is to uh, check out our Facebook page. Not a shameless plug here, but a couple of things. One, we just went over 500 uh, likes on there. or 1,500. 1,500, excuse me. And I just want to thank everybody for following the page. But also, I wanted to let people know that over these fall months here, I'm going to be kind of keeping an eye on the general weather patterns for the entire Pacific Northwest region. So it might be a good way to just kind of get that alert to say, hey, in a week, they're expecting some sunshine. Weather reports be damned. They are sometimes not as accurate as you'd like them to be, but could give you a little window, an opening to maybe take the bike to work or just take it out for an afternoon ride. So Derek, the weatherman. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for joining us this month. We'll be back doing this in December. And don't ride like my mother. And please do not ride like my mother either. We will see you in December. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Well. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.